it starts with you. Everything that you want to do in your life, if you remember that you are the one holding the pen and the notebook is in front of you and that you have the opportunity to write your story, that is where the magic happens. everyone, Emily Abadi here, popping in with a special episode of Hurdle from the AG Studio. You know, this week, if you're listening to this in real time, is an off week for the show. I'm in between season eight and season nine. But I have been thinking a lot about how much has changed since the show started four years ago. I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, Now, Hurdle, about to be in its ninth season, has 454 episodes in the feed. Saying that, like, absolutely (laughs) blows my mind. And so much has happened over those 454 episodes. Unbelievable conversations, a lot of personal growth, the creation of this budding community, and the through line to all of it, the connector, well, it's me. It has been a long time since I have unpacked my story on the show. And a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, actually, I listened back to episode one and I wasn't as like kind of mortified as I expected to be in listening to it. Like, It was literally my first podcast ever. When I started Hurdle, I wasn't an avid podcast listener. I remember I had pages and pages and pages of notes of what I wanted to say. And I had spoken to so many other podcasters and had their best tips at my disposal. And regardless, I'm telling you this because for today's episode of Hurdle, this special bonus episode, I'm going to revisit my story. I am four years later after telling it for the first time, going to reshare my story and give some insight as to where I have been, how I got to where I am today, and kind of fill in the details for those of you that may be newer hurdlers. Thank you for coming on this ride with me. No sponsors in this one, just me riding solo. So with that, let's get to hurdling. I recently ran my 10th marathon. I say that sentence and I smile every time because yes, I'm proud that I've done this time and time again and that I keep showing up to do something both that I enjoy and also that is mega challenging. (laughs) But more so, that sentence makes me smile because I think of the girl in 2003 who if you told her that she would ever run a marathon, she would have looked at you like you have 22 heads. And yeah, that girl is me. And before I go on any further, running is a part of my story, but you do not need to be a runner to love, listen to, identify as a hurdler, listen to this show. I always feel the need to like kind of throw that into the mix. The act of running, however, taught me so much about myself. And for that, I am truly, truly grateful. 
we'll get to those in just a little bit. (laughs) But let me bring it back to start. Back in 2003, I was a high school sophomore and I didn't make my junior varsity volleyball team because I could not run a mile in under 10 minutes. In fact, at that time, I could barely run at all. I despised running and I had been conditioned at this point to believe that it was never going to be something that was in my wheelhouse. Growing up, I am one of two. I have a brother. He's four years older than me. And although I was definitely an active kid, my brother was like the athlete in the family (laughs) when we were kids. He was the one that was on the track team, then the cross country team. He was always traveling here and there to play a sport. And for me, all that stuff didn't come as, let's just say as natural. So as a result, Whenever we would like get into a fight, he'd always quip at me and be like, go run a mile because he knew that at the time I absolutely hated running. And so because of the taunting from him and then because of not making the volleyball team because I wasn't capable of running the mile in the time cut off, I was made to believe that I would never be a good runner. And I was also made to believe that I wasn't good enough. Like I was completely dissuaded from activity. And to this day, that actually really breaks my heart, especially considering the statistics about women and young girls dropping out of sport at a greater rate than men do. It's something that I spoke with Shalane Flanagan about in our conversation last November. It's It's so heartbreaking that we put in these barriers to entry for young women and girls to sport that are completely arbitrary, but I digress. I won't go on a rant about that here now. Not making the volleyball team was the beginning, I would say, to a decline for me in my health. Because I didn't make the volleyball team... I chose to get more heavily involved in the arts. I was in my high school musical, I would say like maybe three out of the four years that I was in high school. And I got heavily involved with a youth group called BBYO, which stands for B'nai B'rith Youth Organization. I became my chapter president and then I became the regional president and I traveled for it. And all of that was a lot of fun. But I don't think I had any sort of regular activity, like workout situation in the entirety of my teenage years. On a emotional, personal note, uh, when I was 16 and in high school during this time, my parents split up. And when I look back on the years, like between, I would say, literally most of high school, I I don't remember a lot of details and I've talked about this a lot in therapy. I think it's like my like my body, my being trying to like protect me from this emotional trauma. Um, I'm very fortunate in that I have a great relationship with both of my parents and there's always just been so much love and I was never witness to any arguing or anything like that. Like as far as I would say separations, divorces go. I don't know if this is like a good sentence to say, but it was probably as good as it could have been for me. Yet still, I've suppressed like so many memories from this time. And during this time, I then gained a ton of weight. And 
as a byproduct of that weight gain, being a teenage girl, my inner dialogue became absolutely awful. On top of that, the way that I was treated, and although I don't remember a lot from this time in my life, what I do remember are like the really high highs and the really low lows. And I remember that maybe when I was 16, 17 years old, I was like dating a guy. And by like dating, I mean like we were like kissing in the hallway after school or something. And I'll never forget that I walked by a table where he was sitting at lunch one day and I heard his friends make fun of my size. And I just went into the bathroom that was like 100 feet away and locked myself in the stall and cried. I also remember being made to feel like I didn't fit in in society based on the clothing options that were available to me at the time. I have certainly told this story on the show before, but when I was in high school, I mostly shopped at (laughs) American Eagle. Man, how things have changed. I think at the time, American Eagle sizing, the biggest size that they made was a 14 or 16, a 16. And today, I know that their biggest size is a 24. So that's good. But I exclusively shopped at American Eagle and I would wear my American Eagle denim until I couldn't wear them anymore because the thighs at the top of the thighs where my thighs rubbed together, they would get so thin and start to rip. And so I was on the brink of needing a new pair of jeans and that they were ripping. And I distinctly remember this one night where my dad took me to the American Eagle store in the Trumbull Mall. And it was a late, late on a weeknight. Um, and we went in there and I went into the dressing room and I brought in the jeans that I always go to buy the exact same pair. And I went to put them on and they didn't button and I couldn't get in them. And there were no other pants for me in the store. There was nothing else in the store that would fit me and my body. And I walked out of there and I felt so defeated and upset and lonely Because where was I supposed to go? What was I supposed to wear? What was I supposed to do? Who, no one understood how I felt in that moment, or at least that's how I felt at that time. Because when I walked out of that store and I looked around the mall, there was nowhere else that I could find clothing that would be okay for me in my body. I was the outsider. I was the exception. I felt alone. I went to college and... Come spring semester, I had probably gained the standard freshman 15. So this means that between age like 16 and 18, turning 19, I had gained a significant amount of weight and I was at a really low point. I was studying for a final my spring semester and I decided that I would procrastinate that final by weighing myself because that is totally normal. And I looked at the scale that had been collecting dust sitting under my twin XL bunk bed and I pulled it out and I tapped it and I got on. And I recall waiting for those numbers to populate. It felt like an eternity. And I looked down 
and I saw a number over 200 pounds looking back at me. And I was beside myself. I was beside myself because looking at that number made me finally come to terms with the fact that I was not okay. And it wasn't that I wasn't okay because of the number on the scale. I wasn't okay because I was an emotional mess. I was unhappy in my body and I needed to do something about it. And so I did something so counterintuitive to me at the time, which was throw on that freshman high school volleyball sweatshirt and a pair of Target leggings and some old sneakers and run down the four flights of stairs to my dorm, out the door and sprinted down the street until I couldn't run anymore, which literally lasted for about like, I don't know, maybe 14 seconds before I collapsed into this like soaking wet grass and looked up at the sky and was like, I am done. I need to make a change. I cannot live like this. I don't want to live like this. And I know that if I don't do something about this, no one's going to do it for me. And so it started. It started that night. I mean, it started the next morning. I woke up and the first thing that I decided to do was start to make healthier choices when it came to what I was putting in my body. You know, the great thing about college dining halls is that you have access to absolutely everything whenever you want it. But the bad thing about college dining halls is that you have access to absolutely everything whenever you want it. And so I made a habit of like having a side of tater tots or ice cream with like almost every meal because I could, because I had this independence. And so what I started to do was not do that. And to learn more about portion control, I, as a tool, went back to Weight Watchers at the time. And although I never really strictly followed the Weight Watchers, now called WW Plan, what did work for me was having to show up at one of their centers every week and step on a scale and have some accountability. And I would drive to the Weight Watchers Center, which is about, I want to say like 20 minutes or so from campus. And I would go way in. Sometimes I would stay for the meeting. Sometimes I wouldn't. And then I would immediately drive like a minute away to a Dunkin' Donuts drive through And my like weekly treat for myself was a glazed stick donut. To this day, I still think of a glazed stick donut as like the thing that I want to get when I want to treat myself. And I know that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about using food as a reward. I hear you. But it's like a sentimental thing for me because it was like an indulgence that I had during this crazy time in my life where I was learning about moderation and I was never eliminating anything. The glazed stick donut for me represented that I could do both. I could learn how to eat better, love my body. And I could also have these things that like maybe weren't what other people thought about when they were trying to lose weight. Um, that's still my philosophy today. Let it be noted. I really do believe that there's room for everything in moderation. I've never been a really big fan of any sort of elimination diet. I understand that individuals need to cut out things because of maybe sensitivities like gluten, for instance. But for me, growing up in a really big Italian family, learning to just love food for all of its goodness and wonderfulness, even during my major weight loss period, I never, ever, ever completely said this thing is off limits for me. I digress. 
over, I would say about a year and a half, I lost about 30 to 40 pounds. And like I said, a big part of that was learning how to eat better. I also started to integrate a lot more movement into my routine. At first, that movement looked like going to my college gym and like getting on the elliptical for a really long time. I wasn't really into strength training yet, uh, but yes, a lot of cardio. I was working at a summer camp the summer of, I want to say, 2008. And I was about halfway through this weight loss journey And I knew that I wanted to keep on it, keep at it. And I didn't have a gym available to me. And so I decided that I was going to learn how to be a runner, (laughs) which again, I told you, I was so conditioned from a young age to believe that running was just not in my wheelhouse. So this was a really scary thing. But when you have a goal, when you have your mindset on something, you realize that you are a little more willing than you used to be to getting a little uncomfortable in pursuit of better. And so I tried it. It started with me buying some black cotton leggings from Target and a pack of Hanes white v-necks from Walmart. I think I also may have purchased new shoes at the beginning of that summer. And something else that I did was I purchased a size smaller, at least one. I want to say they maybe were like a size 10 or a size 8 pair of jeans from Gap at the Clinton Crossing Outlets in Connecticut. I bought these jeans and I hung them up on the back of my door in the cabin that I was living in. And they were like my reminder to myself that I was on this journey because when I purchased them, they did not fit at all. And so I bought all this stuff. I I got my tools together and I made the decision that every day I would get out and I would try to run. And don't get it twisted. Like when I say like I would get out and run, like my running at first wasn't consistent in that it wasn't like I was going out and running what I thought was a mile. Like I wasn't going out and just running a mile. And that was the thing. It was a run walk. It was a combo. And I didn't have any judgment over that. It was like, this is how I'm going to learn how to be okay with running. And so every day after lunch, I would go to my my bunk or my cabin or whatever. And I would put on my black leggings and my white V-neck and my sneakers. And I would go out and run this route that took me 14 minutes and I would be absolutely drenched. And then I would come and I would rinse off and I would go on with the rest of my day. And that was the beginning of something really special for me. At the end of the summer, I measured the distance with my car that I was convinced was a mile and learned that I had been running a half mile every day. And that half mile took me 14 minutes. And it could have been really, really easy to be angry about that and frustrated about that. But rather, I was really proud because I learned to love that time. I learned what it felt like to invest in myself and that I was worthy of my own energy. And how special is that, right? How could you be mad when that's the takeaway? And so with time, after that summer of consistent effort, I learned to run farther. And that half mile became a mile. And that mile became a few miles. And then a 5K. And in the fall of my junior year, so this is fall 2009, I ran my first half marathon. Now, that's a whole other story. Um, 
I trained for that half marathon using a Hal Higdon training plan off the internet. I think if you Google half marathon training plan, Hal Higdon's programming is the first thing that comes up. And I found this beginner half marathon training plan and I was a junior in college and I had already lost like a bunch of weight and I was feeling really confident and excited. And about a week and a half before that marathon I'd worked so hard for, I get a call in the middle of the night from one of my best friends at the time who had recently graduated. He was living on Long Island that another one of our mutual friends was in the hospital in a coma because he had overdosed about, I want to say maybe two or three days later, he passed away. And that meant that his funeral was the day of the half marathon. I drove out to Long Island on a Thursday. The wake was going to be on Friday. And I went to the wake. And after the wake, we stood in this bar. And my best friend at the time, he looked at me and he said, and our, our friend who had passed away, his, his pledge name for the fraternity that they were in, it was Snowflake. And he said, Snowflake would want you to run the marathon. And I made a really difficult decision that day. I made a really difficult decision that day to get back in my Navy Blue Jetta and drive back to Storrs, Connecticut and drive straight to a Walmart and buy myself a pink Hanes t-shirt. And in true sorority girl fashion, I was in Kappa Kappa Gamma at UConn. I decorated the hell out of that pink t-shirt and drew snowflakes on it and wrote my name on the back. And I woke up the next morning and I ran that marathon for him. I remember crossing the finish line that day. I think I ran that half marathon in something like two hours and 45 minutes. It was nothing, you know, as far as running times go. The time wasn't super stellar, but I couldn't have cared less. I was so proud of myself that I had showed up there and I had done this thing and that I was finally... I believed that I was finally a runner. I was the thing that I was told for so long that I could never be. And from that moment, I was better for it. So I'll fast forward a little bit. I mean, this was, like I said, right before I graduated college. I graduated college. I started working in New York City. I was down about a total of 70 pounds and done, I mean, so to speak, on that journey. I believe weight loss is like a forever work in progress. But I have now kept off a greater amount of that weight loss for the better part of 12 or 13 years. I was working in New York City. Eventually, I would move to New York City. I worked at a woman's lifestyle blog called The Stir, which was part of a company called Cafe Mom where I was writing everything from uh, news and entertainment to healthy living content. And after three and a half years working there, a company that owned at the time Women's Health, Men's Health, Runners World Prevention, Bicycling, Magazines, etc. <laughs> they reached out to me because they were looking for a fitness editor. 
And I was so scared because yes, like I was super interested in health and fitness at this time. I had run more half marathons. I was working out all the time. All of my days started with me going to the New York sports club up on 86th street, which is certainly no longer there. I think it's an old Navy now. Uh, but I thought that it could get boring. Like who wants to talk about health and wellness all the time? Like, what am I going to do after, I don't know, a month of it? I asked myself, I remember making a pro con list to, to taking a new job with my then boyfriend at the time and my cousin at rodeo bar in Murray Hill. And I decided to take the job and taking that job was the catalyst for like where I'm sitting here today. And that I realized that it was really awesome when I could combine my passions with my work. And so while I was working at Rodale as a fitness editor, I got certifications. I got my personal training certification and I wasn't getting these certifications because I wanted to actually like go into personal training. I was getting these certifications because I wanted to be able to have smarter conversations with experts to create fact-based content that served my consumer. So when anybody asks me for like my best piece of advice as a journalist, my best piece of advice is to choose a niche and get educated within that niche as much as possible. Although it can definitely be seen as a little bit of a hassle when you get a personal training certification every other year, you have to do more education. They call it continuing education so that you can keep that certification. So for me, every other year I'm like, taking on a new skill. It started with that personal training certification. Then I got my UESCA run coach certification. And then last year I studied for my precision nutrition level one certification. So I'm constantly on a quest for new knowledge as to expand what I know and better inform the people that I'm trying to communicate, which these days <laughs> is all of you. I worked as a fitness editor at Rodale. I got let go from Rodale because of just company-wide layoffs. And five days later, I landed an opportunity to interview for the fitness editor at Self Magazine. I, man, freelancing, being a freelance journalist is a lot of hard work. And when you are in your mid-20s, I would say that I was certainly not ready yet to thrust into that level of personal accountability. I had recently moved into my first ever solo studio apartment. I had big rent to pay. I think at the time my rent was $1,700. And when I got let go from my job, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. I was beside myself and I reached out to absolutely everyone I knew in my professional network and was like, let me know if you have anything that you need written or anyone that you know that is looking for to hire. And Liz Plosser, who's been on the show twice, was working as the deputy editor at Self Magazine. And she called me up and was like, I have an assignment. Do you have time for it? I need it like within three days. And at the time, being a veteran digital journalist, having three days to work on an article is like, I mean, that's a lot of time. So I was like, no problem. I turned the article around. And then I think it was a day or two later, she emailed me and the subject of the email was just fitness editor. And it said, when can you come in and chat? And so I went in and chatted the next day. And it was the first time I ever also sat down with an executive editor of a magazine. Shout out to Suzanne D'Amato and an editor in chief of the magazine, Joyce Ching at the time. And I walked into Joyce's office and I sat down and I just kind of said to her without even like, she didn't ask me like, why should I choose you for this job? 
I sat down with her in her like bright, shiny white office on like something like that 27th floor of the World Trade Center. I looked at her and I said, I know you're looking at my resume and you see a digital journalist sitting in front of you, but I promise you whatever I do not know, I will learn and I will come into this magazine and do this print job better than any other person that you will interview for this opportunity. I don't know what the hell came over me. I honestly, to this day, like I think about what I said to her in that office and that took balls. But I think those balls, they come from it's a sink or swim moment. Like I said, I had rent to pay. I needed I needed this job, not just because it was a good job, but because it was my dream job and because I knew that I was qualified for it and I wasn't going to let whatever like conventional wisdom or like the normalcy would say my career path up to that point be the thing that stood in my way from getting it. And the next day I was cleaning up my studio apartment in an effort to de-stress from the zillions of emails in my inbox. And Billy Joel was playing and I got a call from HR at Condé Nast and they told me that I got the job and they asked me if I could start the next week. The craziest thing about that is that I don't think I would have applied for that job if I hadn't been laid off from my other job because I would have also thought that I didn't have the experience necessary to go after something that was absolutely perfect for me. And so I always, always, always say when someone asks me for a career advice that there are two things that you need to keep in mind. The first thing is that you need to be your own biggest hype man and that if you don't believe and stand firm in the fact that you can do something, that you are the person to do this thing, then you can't expect other people to see your potential. And the second thing that I say is jump before you're ready. For so, so long, you know, I had been told you need to stay at this job for this long. Don't hop around too often, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like at the end of your life, no one's going to say like, oh, remember when she left that job within four months because she found another opportunity that was bigger and better for her? Nah, I don't stay. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> you got to trust your gut. Every single day, you have the opportunity to write your story. And what a beautiful, beautiful, golden opportunity that is. And so... <laughs> A week later, I started as the fitness editor at Self Magazine, and I had one hell of a time there. I worked at Self for about a year before that magazine folded because gestures loosely, this is life. And during that time, I did everything from interview Olympians like Candace Parker and Jevy Stone and Simone Biles to staff photo shoots, direct photo shoots, travel to Los Angeles. I once traveled. I told this story recently on a podcast. I pitched to my editorial team that we needed to know more about what was going on in the Los Angeles fitness scene. And I put together a 72 hour fitness crawl where I went to as many studios as possible. I distinctly remember like running from a CrossFit gym to a Pilates studio, taking classes at both. I think it was four miles in between the two. And I was like getting paid to do that. What an insane, <laughs> what an insane time. What an insane time. I'm just sitting here shaking my head because it's insane, right? It's insane that because one day my freshman year of college, I decided that I was worthy of my own investment and that I needed to make some positive steps to take ownership over my health. 
Then I developed this vested interest in health and wellness and in becoming the best version of myself and was able to figure out how to make a career surrounding that and then kept manifesting on how to do more of it, how to level up, how to continually find things that served my greater purpose, right? And when I was at self, that's when I really started to articulate what it was that I wanted for my life. I was 27 and I knew that my overarching goal in my life would be to help others navigate their own individual wellness journeys. I was on a mission to help other people feel less alone. I didn't want women specifically to have to go through what I went through. Not that I don't think that there are a lot of benefits to the hardships and the hurdle moments that I went through. There are. But if I could make you feel less alone in your struggle, then I'm doing something right. If I can help you get through these hurdle moments knowing that there is hope on the other side, that you are capable of persevering through the moments that make you feel like you are at your lowest low, how lucky am I? And so when I got let go from self, (laughs) man, I remember I was at a, a sneaker launch for Nike. It was like that back to the future sneaker the air mag. It was like a showing of the air mag or something (laughs) at a Nike store in Soho. And I was in a dressing room, like putting on some clothes. And I got a call from someone who tipped me off that uh, the magazine was going to be folding and went into that office that day. And we were all called into the editor in chief's office, the entire staff and Anna Wintour walked in. This is like a total like movie moment. And we are all crying because we know what's about to happen. And she reads from a set of note cards and tells us that the magazine is folding and that we all just lost our jobs. If you're wondering if there was like a lot of emotion there from Anna, the the answer is no. And we all started like we were just we were wrecked. We went to brunch. I think I drank like a gaggle of Bloody Marys. But unlike the time that I got let go from Rodale, I felt like I was ready to figure this one out. Like I didn't necessarily think, okay, I'm really excited to start this like next chapter as a freelance journalist, but I felt like I really had a solid network, especially because I was so rooted in the fitness industry at this point that I was ready to handle whatever was going to come my way. And so I started sending out those emails and thus began what would eventually become like a year long journey of freelance writing and a really big year for self-discovery and learning to push myself and run at opportunities and try new things. And it happened during this time, as everybody always says that it does, that I fell in love and I met someone that uh, I ended up dating for like eight months, I want to say, in early 2017. And that would become a really big part of the reason why I ultimately started the show. Um, I cared a lot about him. We had a lot of fun together. (laughs) We had a lot of the same interests. And I think for a long time, that was a really solid foundation for companionship. But what ultimately happened was it just wasn't the thing. 
And in the weeks and months that followed, I became like a shell of myself. I was sitting on my couch with a girlfriend of mine that was in town visiting and we were eating ramen. And I looked at her and I said, and this is October of 2017. I just so badly want to get over this hurdle. And the words came out of my mouth and it just, I went into, uh, I interviewed Sadie Lincoln. She's the founder of bar three early on in the show. And she described something that she calls warrior state, which is when you are doing work that feels so purposeful and special that it no longer necessarily feels like work. It just feels like everything you're supposed to do. And in that moment, I concepted hurdle. I concepted this idea for a podcast that I would talk to other people about the hurdle moments that they are going through and everything, every ounce of my being started to be poured into this thing that I didn't know would become like my occupation or at least a large part of it. Right. Like when I started hurdle, I thought that it was just going to be this thing that brought me joy when I felt as though like my life was at times without. And I started talking to a lot of podcasters and asking them for what worked for them and learning from them and taking meetings and buying coffees and doing all the things. And then finally, on December 31st of 2017, heard a launch in the iTunes store. And well, the rest is history. I feel like that was a rambling account of how I got to where I am now. But I do have a few key takeaways that I want to make sure that I run home as I finish up this solo episode talking about my journey. I realize I didn't mention the first marathon I ever ran. The first marathon I ever ran was also in Hartford, the Hartford ING marathon at the time it was called. I ran that marathon in 2013 in four hours, three minutes and 19 seconds. And I don't know if I necessarily thought when I crossed that finish line that I would be doing it again, but I knew that I had kind of like summited the mountain at that time in terms of like my personal wellness journey. I was just so proud that this girl who, again, time and time again, was told that this couldn't be something that she could do because of her size or the way that she looked or like her lack of motivation. Like I showed up and I did that one for me. Like I did that first half marathon. Ultimately, I started out on that journey for me, but I did it for Snowflake. I ran that first full 26.2 mile marathon entirely for myself. And from that moment, I kind of learned that self-care wasn't selfish and that self-care was going to be something that would carry me through all of the difficult moments in my life. I would not be where I am today. However, without the love and support of my community. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I can tell you when it comes to fostering relationships as an adult is that it takes a really big person to allow people to play a role in your life that you wish that they wouldn't. I have had to, as a single woman in my mid-30s, get to a place where I recognize that everyone is in a different season at different times. And I have some forever friends that I know will absolutely always have my back. And those are the people that I look to when I need help, knowing that asking for help is not a sign of weakness, but rather an opportunity to get to where you want to be. I can say that I didn't really understand that at the beginning of my journey. And that is something that I want to make sure that I reiterate here 
regardless of, you know, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, knowing that asking for help can be the game changer, especially when you're still working on fostering those feelings of self-belief because they're hard, right? That inner dialogue, man, that's a hard thing to get over. But with the right tools and the right help, you will get to a place where you understand and fully grasp the idea that you are the person that has the pen to write your own story and every single chapter going forward. Another takeaway from my journey, self-belief and self-worth starts with you. That's why the word self is in front of both of those terms. You cannot let other people determine how you feel about yourself. You are the person that knows your intentions. You are the person that is in charge again of that pen. And so you owe it to yourself to be responsible for how that conversation is happening and your internal dialogue. There are going to be days where it doesn't feel stellar. You can be someone who appreciates and loves your body while still showing up in front of the mirror and being like, I don't feel that great in it today. And that's okay. The important part to that is that you do something about it. You take ownership over your body. You recognize that, okay, maybe today's not my day, but I'll go for a walk later. I'll reach out to a friend and talk about how I'm feeling. Maybe I'll make a therapy appointment for next week. Or I will prioritize doing something that gives back to my mental health. The ownership over my well-being was the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful realization for me was that it was within my hands. And although weight loss is a part to my story, the number on the scale also isn't the thing that determines that. Your weight is not correlated with your self-worth. I'll say it again. It starts with you. Everything that you want to do in your life, if you remember that you are the one holding the pen and the notebook is in front of you and that you have the opportunity to write your story, that is where the magic happens. So grab the pen, take that ownership, use your agency to get to where you want to be. And when you don't have all the answers, don't freak out. Don't fret. Because let me let you in on a little secret. Nobody does. The thing that you have to do, and this is something that I've learned with time, is that when you don't have the answers and you are seeking assistance, you have to let your guard down and ask for it. When you need help, don't let your ego be the thing that stands in your way from getting it. I needed help at so many points during my journey. I will need help in so many different moments going forward and asking for it and embracing the opportunity to get it. That's been one of the most useful, helpful, wonderful tools in my toolbox. And I recognize now kind of bringing this full circle four years in to this show that you all have become the thing that helps me, that lifts me up, that so much of this show, its creation, its foundation, its purpose is to help and empower you. But in doing that, it's hard for me to articulate just how much this community has helped and empowered me. And so 
(laughs) 42 minutes or so into this thing. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for following along with me, for keeping up with me, for being a hurdler and for being you because there's only one you and that's pretty damn great. On to the rest of my weekend. (laughs) Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.